0: Today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is
1: brought to you by Legend Rings. Looking to create better team culture, more dedicated alumni, and reward your student athletes with something they'll never forget? Visit legendrings.com and stay tuned later in the show for a special offer that'll make this unforgettable team award more affordable than ever. And now it's time for the show.
0: That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, On the list for a future seat on the Supreme Court and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor.
1: Lots of coaches talk about building their programs differently, more efficiently, just using new ideas to get the best recruits, build the best athletes, win. But which coaches are actually doing it? Well, today on the College Recruiting Weekly podcast, we're going to talk to a coach who over the years has really charted his own course. And built a program that wins, that's consistent, but he does it differently than most of his peers. That coach is Gabe Bolton. He is the head women's soccer coach at Cal State University, Stanislaus, in the Central Valley of California. And I've known Coach Bolton for many, many years now. Went to his school, we talked, uh, advised him for a little bit. Uh, at the start, as he was looking to make some of these changes, but I give all the credit to him. The things that he is doing and has done to build his program have been his own ideas they have been uh, at uh, at his emphasis and they he's done it his way and there's lots of coaches around the country that we could probably tell the story of how they built their program and how they did it a little bit differently and we'd be honored to do that if you know one or if you are one uh, get in touch i'd love to hear your story because coaches love to hear how other coaches have found success but for coach Bolton we wanted to highlight him today because of some of the things he decided to break away from traditionally recruiting in college soccer. It's going to apply to every sport, no matter what sport you coach in every division level. But the way he did it was really unique. And we wanted to highlight how he's done it, have a conversation with him. Uh, And that's what today's show is all about. Again, because coaches love learning from other coaches and how they built the program. And we want to do that today. In this conversation with Gabe Bolton. So uh, sit back, listen in, get your notepad out because you're going to want to Take some notes and think about how he's done things. Maybe it would be right for your program. Here's how the conversation started off.
0: I think coaching is kind of an addiction, honestly, and I got I love the game. I got into coaching because my next-door neighbor when I was at UC Davis, I had played golf at UC Davis for a few years on the team and then decided Um, that I wasn't going to play anymore and and was playing some soccer and my neighbor came uh, not not on the collegiate team at Davis but just playing like some amateur soccer and Mm -hmm. my neighbor came over and said hey I'm coaching on a a U10 girls team do you want to help me out and uh, she was a fun person to be around and and I said yeah that sounds like fun and man, after the first practice, I'm like, this is awesome. This is, you know, I love the game. I love being around, you know, at that time it was kids, you know, uh, they're energetic, they're fun. And
1: so. Have you played soccer at all? I mean, up to that point, have you had any soccer? No, my whole life. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My whole life I had played, I'd played growing up. We, we had, uh, my dad was an anthropologist is an anthropologist and we lived in a lot of countries and all these countries, soccer was the predominant sport. And so, Um, I played my whole life. I kicked my first soccer ball when I was two years old in Peru and um, had played ever since and, um, and was still playing at that time was playing in the, there used to be an amateur league called the CCSL in Northern California and was playing um, on a team uh, in Woodland at the time. And um, which was kind of a next door town to, uh, to Davis. And, and so From there, it just became a thing where I just started wanting to do the next thing in coaching. So I coached, that was recreational, and then Mm -hmm. I coached some club soccer. All of a sudden, I was a high school coach. Then I was a junior college coach. I started a junior college program, Sierra College. And then I um, became the coach at Stanislaw State, where I am now. It was a... um, an amazing opportunity to be the head coach i think i was 28 29 years old um at a what at the time was a terrible division 2 program maybe the worst in the country um and it paid 15000 dollars a year um and so after the first year i was living about an hour away i was living in sacramento oh, wow and and i had um just graduated from law school a couple of years earlier and decided i wanted to be a coach and um, uh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, thought she was you know, maybe getting into a relationship with a future lawyer who would make more than $15,000 a year. Um, but uh, surprise, uh, to be fair, I didn't know she'd end up being vegetarian. So I feel like we're even. Um, but I, I got an opportunity to go to the University of Utah to be an assistant coach. And I had never been an assistant before. I thought that was a really good opportunity for me to learn from a really great coach, Rich Manning. And so I left, uh, Stanislaus state, um, although they did offer me a whopping 30,000 uh, a year to stay, um, which at the time was, you know, um, still not a lot of money, but right. felt like a lot of money. Yeah, double. Exactly. Exactly. can't beat that. Um, and went to Utah and spent three years there. And, but it kind of took its toll on my relationship. We had just gotten married, my wife and I, and then I left for Utah and she stayed in Sacramento and I, I lived in Utah and three years of that, uh, seemed like kind of enough. Um, and so I came back, uh, to Sacramento and about a year later, the job at Stan State opened up again. And so I was coaching back at Stanislaus Awesome. now I've been here for 16 years. And it's funny because why i coach now is way different than you know it's just as addictive but it's different i think i think i coached back then because it was a way to be competitive you know as a person and to feel those thrills of winning and you know agony of defeat i think now those same things exist but i think i coach now uh, more for the um, enjoyment of working with, you know, college age students, helping them in their lives, helping them grow, um, as people hopefully having a positive influence in their lives. And so, um, I think that's, you know, that's changed uh, a lot and that's kind of, I would say where I've grown, you know, as a coach.
1: Well, and that's really what I want this conversation to be centered on, because there's a lot of coaches. Just in knowing you over not all those years, but many of those years, uh, there's a lot of changes that you've made that I think coaches that is, at least I've come in contact with um, haven't made, and I would I was I was going to say haven't had the courage to make because it is a courageous thing to go outside the norms of your industry or of what coaching at the college level dictates you should do as a successful or unsuccessful coach. So, um, so again, everything in your background, everything, the way you just laid it out, sets it up perfectly for the, the conversation that I want to have um, when you were starting out and you sort of gave me a little indication of what your answer is going to be just in what you just said. But when you first started coaching, um, you mentioned it was for the competitiveness. Uh, you weren't going to be trapped in an office as an attorney. You were going to be out on the soccer fields, and uh, but it was more about—is uh, it fair to say it's more about you and your, you know, what it was going to do for you and your competitiveness versus this transition now that it's made more towards the athlete? But just describe Coach Bolton, you know, 20 plus years ago on the on the field and what were your priorities and mindsets. Uh, and everything else as a as a young coach starting out because I think there's going to be a lot of young coaches that are going to listen to this that might be able to relate to you as a as a younger coach.
0: Yeah, no, I mean I think if I'm being real honest, it was about me, right? Mm-hmm. It was about my own you know ego about you know wanting to be you know wanting to win, wanting to be successful, um, and I was at each of the levels, so it just kind of fed that you know, dynamic, um, you know, even more. And I think when you're starting out, you know, how you think about what, what your job is as a coach is way different. You know, I, you know, I thought my job as a coach was, all right, you know, you go through a phase where your focus is, I'm going to teach the players, the, you know, technique, and how do I teach them technique? How do I teach them to pass the ball, shoot the ball, dribble the ball, those things. and then you get to a point where you feel confident in that and you, say, oh, well, I'm at, you know, you know, now it's really about the tactics, right? What are the formations we play? And, and, um, and at the college level, like, okay, how do, you know, hours of breaking it down on video and, you know, every analytic program that you can get your hands on. I mean, there's so many uh, at this point. And then, then you start realizing, well, it's, you know, the physical aspect is really important. You know, and so you immerse yourself in that aspect, and then for me, I mean, this is my journey in it. You know, I think people start have different maybe priorities, sure. um, And then you really start getting into, uh, well, it's really about the mental, right? Like, okay, our team dynamics are really important. Um, and then, and then I think you get to where I am now, where you realize, yeah, that stuff's all important. But it's really about each individual. It's really about the person. And it's not really about you as a coach, right? Like, I think each of those things feeds your ego about, oh, my team has the best technique. My team has the best tactics. You know, my team is the most physically prepared. Um, They're the mentally, you know, they're the toughest mentally, you know, all of those things. That's great. But you get, you know, and honestly, I spend pretty much every day of my life pretty sure I don't know what I'm doing. So I would never want to tell anybody that this is what you do, this is how you do it. But in my experience, the sooner you realize it's about people, which sounds really kind of like obvious, mm-hmm. um, the sooner you realize it's not really about you, um, the better off you're going to be, I think um, as a coach and the more successful you're going to be. And the funny thing about it is I look back on coaches that I coached against here, just in our conference, who I felt like this is not a good coach. Like they don't understand the game tactically. Their teams are not that organized. They haven't clearly haven't game planned for anything that we've done. Right. And yet they were really, really successful, and I kind of realized now they were just really good at getting the best out of each one of their players. And they've probably spent most of their time focusing on the individual understanding. It's not about them. It's about their players. And that's why they were better, a better coach than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why their teams won, you know? So uh, it's funny what you think, you know, when you're younger, who you think is a really good coach and who you, you think, ah, you know, they're so old school, or they don't understand this or that, and then you realize, oh well, maybe they do understand something that you don't
1: understand. But it, but also, it doesn't have to be one or the other. For instance, if your coach is listening to this and loves the competition and the you know the you're know, just that aspect of coaching, um, they can still be competitive. I'm because I'm assuming you're so competitive, and you know also recognize that oh, it's about the individual. It's about really not so much about you know. Technique all the time. It's about getting the most out of the individual. You can. It's more about add. It seems like adding the layers as opposed to um, doing away and only focusing on one. Is that fair to say, just from your experience? Hundred percent.
0: They're all like I said. Those are all important, right? Like if you if you don't have the knowledge in those different areas, um, you know. And in soccer, we're taught there's four pillars of the game. There's technique, tactics, physical, and mental. Like those are the four pillars. You know, of the game. So of course you focus on those things when you're learning and growing as a coach, you know. Um, there's uh it, unfortunately there's not anybody that really says, Oh, yeah, there's really a fifth pillar that's really more important than those things. It's people, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just so like maybe I'm just dumb and I didn't realize that, um, or it took 25 years to realize it. Um, but it really is it's critical. And I would say most of my learning in that has come from basically failing, like failing as a coach, um, failing my players, um, not being a good coach for a particular player here or there. Um, And um, those have been, you know, hard lessons uh, to learn, but you have to try and, you know, once you realize, okay, you know, it's about me. It's not about them. It's much easier to kind of learn those lessons and go, okay, what is it that I can do better? Where can I grow? How can, you know, I improve mm-hmm. um, because every player needs something different, you know, from you. Um, and it's critical that you meet them where they are. You understand that um, because in the end, you um, You know, that connection, that relationship, if you do it right, will bring out the best, you know, in that player, both on the field and, you know, as a person. And that should be kind of our ultimate goal.
1: Is it something about younger coaches that I mean, are we just as young people, uh, were we just not able to add all the layers? Do you have to almost go through the experiences like that trial and error, the failure to add those layers into your expertise and how you approach coaching—it um, just doesn't seem to be, you catch a lot of young uh, coaches that have sort of accumulated all three or four of those layers that you just identified. That makes you a more complete coach. Is that fair to say? Is that you just need to go through the experience and the failures and the hard knocks and and learn it a little piece by piece?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I also think, though, that I think the younger coaches today are better equipped um, and are than than I was. Um, and that maybe coaches of my generation were to understand the importance of the individual and, of um, you know, and how that personal connection makes a difference. Because I think they are growing up closer to this generation of of, uh, student athletes Mm -hmm. and they're seeing it modeled more in, in coaches. You know, when I, like, if I think about like, when I was a younger coach, when I was 20 years old, like who were the coaches that you're like, Oh, this is like the best code. Like, like, people thought like Bobby Knight was amazing, right? Like he's throwing chairs across the court. You know, I don't think nowadays that's the image that your that young coaches are seeing and holding up as the model of what good coaching is and what it means, especially maybe in the last 4 or 5 years. And so I think they're going to be better equipped to um uh to You know, not to have that um, knowledge earlier in their uh, career. But certainly, you know, if you don't know uh, how to teach the game, right, and you're just starting out, that's going to be, you're coaching a game, that's going to be your focus. You're going to be, okay, I, I, you know, what formation should I use? What tactics should I use? And I also think that's kind of the allure, you know, of like competition, right? I'm going to outsmart the other coach, you know, you know, kind of thing. And you kind of realize when you get to a certain level that there's, yeah, you can make a difference, you know, on the field. um, And we do as coaches, but there's not that much outsmarting uh, going on. Um, Although maybe I'm the one being outsmarted. That's why I think that, Uh, but there's not that much outsmarting going on. You know, there is, Um, I think, uh, better, um, understanding of your players, what they can do, what, where they might struggle and how you're going to get the best out of them.
1: So one of the things that you did very consciously, um, that it just is, as I've known you over the last now close to probably going on to closer to 20 years, but one of the things that you did, very intentionally was you change the way that you scouted and went out and saw players, which at the time, you know, you, every coach, every sport, they have sort of the routine of where you're supposed to go. Here's what you're supposed to do to see the right athletes. And everybody's there. So I got to be there. Um, and I think it was really interesting. And you spoke at one of our national collegiate recruiting conferences on this many, many years ago when you first did it. But you changed the way that you, um, that you went out and scouted players um, based on what your family needs were, but also based on a little bit of science and, and a little bit a bit of sort of analyzing what was working, what was not working. Can you just kind of take coaches through this as an example of kind of how you've approached coaching and this change that you made? Can you take them through that decision-making, what you were seeing, feeling at the time, and, and the change you made uh, into the, what you do now?
0: Yeah, I mean it. It was the you know I was sitting. I remember very vividly sitting at a game at Surf Cup in San Diego, which was a massive mm-hmm. soccer tournament. And I'm watching. You know, I know one of the teams was from Arizona, and I think the other one was from Texas. And I'm watching this, and I coach at a little school in the Central Valley of California, um, where you know. People an hour from us can't tell us where we are, (laughs) let alone anybody from Texas or Arizona. And I'm just, you know, the game's great. The players are awesome. And I'm sitting here and I'm going, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? It's Thanksgiving, right? I'm missing Thanksgiving with my family. Um, And I'm just thinking to myself, like, what's the value here? What am I? I'm never going to get anybody from either of these teams. Um, And even if I do, the uh, um, the amount of time it, it would take to get one of these players um, compared to being able to get a similar player, um, you know, from more locally or in Northern California or even in Southern California, just didn't seem like it made a lot of sense from a cost benefit analysis. So I had read this book um, called The Pumpkin Plan, and it was basically how businesses the failure that they have oftentimes is that they try to be everything to everyone. And this author had this, you know, basically he, he said, you know, you have to kind of um, figure out like who your best clients are, how you got them, and then go with those, you know, go with those people and utilize that information to get, you know, new clients. And sometimes you have to dump some of your worst clients, right? Uh, Because your client who's, you know, your worst client is sucking up 80% of your time, um, you know, and it's just not worth it. So I kind of came up with this, you know, I kind of looked at our team and I basically looked at our team based on where, you know, our most successful players. And if we took our best players over the course of time that I had been there, could we win a conference championship? And I thought, yeah, we could definitely do that. Um, now you don't always get all your 10, 11 best players on the team at one time. Right. So that was the problem we were having. We'd have three or four of them at any given time. So I said, okay, well, where do they come from? And they all came from, you know, they were either local they, or I had coached them or was coaching them in club soccer um, or they had come to our ID camp or they played for a coach that I had a relationship, uh, with like in club or high school soccer. So those were the four areas that that's where every player that was any good in our program had come from. Um, and maybe there was one or two outliers, but that were the, those were the common, um, areas. So I decided, all right, I'm going to cut everything else out. You know, I cut out there. You know, we all have these coaches that contact us and tell us, you know, in April, you know, Oh, this player is amazing. She could easily start for you. And I'm like, well, our season starts in like, you know, two months, nobody else has recruited her. Apparently your turn, your team has been to every tournament in- under the sun. And yet, you know, I feel like you, maybe you're just trying to dump a player on me. Like I cut out all those coaches I stopped going to tournaments or places that I was not going to find players in those categories, Um, and I narrowed it down substantially. I we still were very like we still would reply to any any recruit that wrote us, but it was basically come to our if you want to really be recruited by us if you're really serious come to our ID camp, okay. Um, and so we did get players that were not didn't fit the other three, but came like maybe we're from Texas or from Washington, for example, or Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, that normally we wouldn't have gotten or even would have fit into that plan, but decided to come to our ID camp. We saw them, we created a relationship, and therefore they ended up coming um to Stanislaus. And so that has led to um You know, that has led to our success on the field um, and has also led to me being more successful as a father, as a husband, um, with my health, uh, you know, um, in some, you know, what some would consider other important areas.
1: Uh oh, that music, it can only mean one thing. It's time to take a quick break and talk about Legend Rings, legendrings.com. It is where college coaches are going to look at high-quality, amazing-looking award rings for their team. Now, whether that is rewarding seniors after four or five years of hard work with your program, rewarding a special effort uh, and accomplishment during the season to all of your team or a selected group of leaders, whatever it is, legendrings.com is the website you go to where college coaches get high quality looking uh, rings to give their their kids to give their student athletes that look just as good as the ones you would see being awarded at the super bowl after an nba championship uh, after a a college football playoff championship in division one whatever it is you will not believe the way these things look and what you're also going to love is the cost because don't tell the big guys this. It is way less than what you're going to pay if you're a Division 1 head football coach. And that's the good news because it allows coaches from all division levels, all sports to give their student athletes things that are going to be remembered, they're going to be talked about, they're going to be kept and it's going to create loyalty, strong alumni and they're going to want to come back and be involved in your program in uh, in other ways that they can support you. So It is a great investment in your program and your coaching career, and it's a great way to build a legacy. So go over to LegendRings.com. Mention the College Recruiting Weekly podcast or Dan Tudor, and when you talk to your representative, they're going to give you, as the coach, a special gift for free. It's awesome. So go over to LegendRings.com. They are the official sponsor of our show. We appreciate them, and they just do great stuff. So that's what I wanted to say. Now let's get back to the conversation. Right. Well, and, and, you know, I think it's an important thing to to mention because so many times the reason that somebody voluntarily gets out of coaching is I, you know, need more time with my family or I can't take the hours anymore or the travel is, you know, just too much or I'm, I'm tired of missing holidays like Thanksgiving. So that's, you know, I think that was a very smart, conscious decision. My question to you is, because you know your peers, not just in soccer, but just around an athletic department why don't more coaches have the courage to do that? Because I really think that that takes courage to not go to a tournament like Surf Cup if you're a NCAA college coach, but you did it, it's worked out to your benefit, and yet most coaches probably would say, I could never skip that. And again, a coach listening to this may not be Surf Cup for you. It could be, I've got to go to these three tournaments, or if I don't go here, everyone's going to be there, and, and I'm not, and they're going to see somebody I don't. But you looked at it, from a smart analytical process of how, where am I, where am I getting my best players and then change course based on that? Why don't more coaches do that? Do you think?
0: Well, I think that a few, you know, a few things. One is that uh, isn't there social media phenomenon now called like FOMO fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a, I think that's a thing um, related to um, social media You know, I think that coaches have had that well before social media was around, right? (laughs) Um, So I think that's, you know, I think that's number one. You know, Um, I think that um, we have told ourselves, not just in coaching, but in many areas of, um, in many professions, that the badge of, being great is that you're putting in a hundred hours a week, you're sleeping Mm -hmm. in the office, you're making all of these, you know, um, sacrifices, right. That, you know, the, the person who works a, you know, a normal type of nine to five job doesn't understand at all. And we're the ones that are saying, Oh, you don't understand. And like, they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. And, I, I think what um, I, I think if anything like this pandemic and the you know the last couple of years maybe have taught us is that you know if we don't start putting mental health you know up front if we don't start changing what we value um, as people um, we're in for a really miserable, you know, existence. And I think, I believe most coaches who say they got out of coaching to spend more time with their family or to, uh, be healthy. Um, what's ironic is most of them get right back into it like two years, you know, later, because, you know, like I said, coaching's a addi- you know, yeah, an
1: addiction, yeah.
0: right. And so, and when they get back into it, I would be willing to bet, most of them go right back into it the same way they came out of it, um, and the you know, and so you know, I think that if you want longevity in the profession, you have to um, have some level of perspective, and it's really hard. Like I have slept in my office more times than I can count, um, and you know, through the years. And times where I live like two miles from campus, <laughs> like there's no need to do that, right? It's ridiculous. Um, and eat all my meals here and miss things. And, you know, I think that's a, uh, and as a result in reality, it made me a terrible coach, mm. right? It made me a coach that didn't have good perspective. Um and that had blinders on and wasn't, I wasn't able to see things that should have been very obvious about, you know, um, how I was doing as a coach, whether or not I was having the impact I wanted to have um, on my student athletes, on my family, on my wife, you know, on my friends, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, I think it's, um, I've made like every single one of these mistakes, I still make them. Um, like I said, I spend, um, uh, I suffer from imposter syndrome on a fairly regular basis. Um, so I think it's you know, I'm certainly not here to you know judge or preach to anybody, but I can tell you that it's um, you know, it's a challenge
1: for sure. So some of the adaptations you made just in the coaching structure of your program and and how that operates. Um, what have you done differently over the years with recruiting? And I'm not asking you to give up your secrets of what has made you successful, but but your approach or what you've learned doesn't work versus what does. Again, because younger coaches, I think, have a different impression of what recruiting is than somebody that's been in it then for two decades. You kind of figure out, just like with scouting, where where should I go? What works? What doesn't? And I'm just wondering what, what recruiting lessons, uh, again, without giving away any secrets, that what have you changed in general with um the way you recruit
0: well for sure i cast a much narrower net right so and i had a coach uh when i was going through kind of a you know tough time with my health and mental health physical health um i had a uh you know wonderful coach um who um i don't want to share his name because i don't want to uh attribute this secret that he told me to him. Uh, But basically he said, uh he says, look, how many players do you need, you know, on your team? You know, you need about 24, 25, right? He's like, that's about six players a year, right? I'm like, yeah. He says, okay. He's like, that's what we do. Six players a year. That's what we're gonna get. Some years we get a few more, some years we get a few less, right? But our goal is six players, right? And we know you know, that um, we're going to convert, you know, let's say, you know, maybe 30% of our recruits. So, all right, you know, it's about 18, 20 players, 25 players, right? Why are you, how many are you recruiting right now? I don't know. I got like 600 in my database, right? (laughs) It's like, well, that's ridiculous, right? Right. So, you know, so I cast a, and I thought about that. I said, well, that
1: makes too much sense um you know so well, i think it seems i mean that seems like it can't be that simple i think a lot of coaches have that mindset where it it, it can't only be 20 i gotta get right yeah you know, it's gotta be 600 because the more i have it's that more is better right
0: right and what if you get your six and then somebody comes along that's better right right? And you're like, no, we're like, I, it always cracks me up that coaches don't want to tell anybody that they're done with their recruiting for that class. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a definitely a phenomenon in women's soccer. Um, and, and you go, well, that's because they don't want to tell that person no. And then later on find out they told that person no, and they went and scored 10 goals for, you know, their rival or, you know, whatever. Right. So it's insecurity, right. You know, we all have it as coaches and, and so I, I definitely, one of the things that's definitely changed, and it was part of that plan, but even within that plan, you could have a real, you could cast a pretty wide net depending on how many contacts. You know, one of the things that I really had to do was manage my um, database of coaches that I rely on for recruits. You know, who are the coaches that really send you players? That work out? Who are the coaches that have sent you players and on a consistent basis are a disaster? Right? Who are the coaches that only call you when their worst player on their team, who can't even get off the bench on their team, you go to their game and the player doesn't even play. Um, they only call you about that player, right? They never call you about their top player, right? And you have to manage the database because you also have to realize. You know, I've coached long enough now that people that used to be in youth soccer coaching aren't in youth soccer coaching anymore, right? So you have to continually like develop those relationships and tend to those, um, you know, relationships. Um, so uh, that's a that's a part of it that is really um, you know challenging because you know, youth coaches, club coaches, high school coaches they want to send, you know, they want to get their players into your college or they want to get, um, or your college is division two. So it's not, you know, high profile enough Mm -hmm. for their, you know, player profile brochure that they're going to put out at the end of the year, you know, that kind of stuff. So you have to manage that. Um, you have to manage that.
1: Yeah. Um, you've also, um, I know you've been up for some jobs I've uh, been approached for some jobs you've chosen to stay and I know that so much of coaching is I'm going to take this one job and that's going to be this this step to the next one to the next one to the next one and I'm going to move around and I'm eventually going to wind up at a power five school coaching my sport uh, and that's the goal for a lot of coaches you you took a different route and I'm just again every coach is different your way is not perfect but I'm still interested to just kind of sharing or for you to share what was the thinking behind it and what made that right for, for coach Bolton to stay in the same community um, and, and pass up maybe some other opportunities to, uh, to stay at, uh, at the division two where you, you kind of have built a, just a really, really great program.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I think it uh, most of the time has come down to um, you know, um, kind of thing you know things grow where you water them, you know, kind of mindset, you know and and you know I spent a lot of time here um, and it honestly, I feel like it took me a good so I've been here 16 years, um, really 15 because one year was then divided up by about by three years after that. Um, I think, it took me a good seven or eight years for me to feel comfortable with what I was doing. Hmm. And then I feel like, um, we didn't have some success for a little bit of period of time. Uh, we made the playoffs, the postseason, seven or eight years in a row, then dropped off. Um, and it took a few years for me to, um, realize what I needed to, you know, do, to become a better coach. Um, and so I've always kind of taken the approach of, well, what is it that I love about coaching? And it, you know, what I love about coaching now, you know, is that it's just, you know, an incredible opportunity to have, you know, this, influence in people's lives that can really make a difference right and i don't think that doesn't change division one division two division three high school you know you know when you're talking about people you know 17 to 22 23 years old um you know there's a certain opportunity there for you to for you to make a difference and i've also looked at those scenarios and said um you know, who did the last coach get seven years, you know, mm-hmm. and in most cases they got like three years. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And, um, because there's just no patience, you know, for, for anything, you know, anymore, everybody wants instant, you know, success. Um, and I've looked at it and I said, you know what, I really, I love our student athletes. I love the central Valley. I love our community. I, you know, my family's happy, I'm happy, I'm having fun, and I'm improving, right, Mm -hmm. which I think are the two most critical things for success, for, you know, success, and longevity, like, for me, if I'm enjoying myself, and I feel like I'm growing, you know, then it doesn't get a lot better, Mm -hmm. you know, than that. Um, and I think there's places I could have gone that I'm not sure I would have enjoyed myself and I'm not sure that that chase, um, would have, um, led me to be the person that I want to be.
1: As a coach, now you're looking back over a 20 plus year career. Uh, when it comes to recruiting, building a program, the non-coaching side of the job, what are the things that if you were to give advice to young coaches listening or even an an experienced coach, same number of years that you have, but just hasn't gotten to the same place in terms of their own personal development, their own program development, what would your advice be? And I ask that because a lot of coaches look only at the X's and O's. They're only looking at the strategy, the competitive part, and they're not actually building a program at all the different levels you need to, to, to build a program. So what, what would your advice be, or a checklist of things that they might need to do differently or to just double check are, are, are we doing this right in our program?
0: Yeah. I, you know, I think, you know, what's really this last year has been a confirmation of kind of what I think the direction my philosophy has been going the last you know, three or four years. So it's interesting what you focus on when you don't have a choice, right? So there haven't been many tactics or technical decisions or physical decisions or really any the, that, you know, that I've had to make in, you know, in a year now. Um, and really the sole focus now has been um, on mentality of my group um, and each individual. And so I would say that my advice would be focus on people. Focus on people. That's the best advice I can give. And I would include all of your student athletes, your assistant coaches, your, you know, everyone in your department, at your university, in your club, whatever it might be you know focus on uh on people and i think you know as much as you know i kind of feel guilty saying you know professionally this year has really helped me as a coach because there's just been so much you know tragedy and and death and pain um and i certainly wouldn't want this to ever happen again you know i've been able to grow because Everything else has been stripped away almost, Mm. and the only choice was you know to focus on people and focus on the individuals, um, in our program. And I know that you know, like a couple, you know, 2019, fall of 19, we had a phenomenal season, and our focus leading, and we'd had three years. Where we still had winning record, but we didn't really make the postseason. We struggled, um, and our mentality as a group, I realized, had to change. And my, you know, my focus had to change, and I had to focus more on, you know, getting a group that was willing to compete, right? So this transition to spending more time and understanding that the mental aspect of the game is critical and it was a transition that I was already starting you know uh to make um and we you know for example I mean we competed every single day our season is in the fall but we consider our season as starting January 1st of that year so you know, January 1st, 2019 was our 2019 season, even though our championship season is in the fall. We competed every single day, other than the summer months when I'm not allowed to, you know, work with them, um, including game days. I mean, I don't care if we, we competed at, you know, minute to win it challenges where you have to take the Oreo off your forehead and eat it, you know, uh, in the pregame before, you know, we go out and play somebody. Like we competed every single day. Um, and, Um, and then the pandemic hit and I said, okay, you know, that's a little bit more difficult to do, but we've continued to do that. Um, but the shift and I credit our current athletic director because it was one of his areas where, Hey, I want you, um, checking in on every one of your players every single week. Right. Um, which is something that is much easier to do when you're in person and you see them at practice and that. Here, you had to be really intentional about it, right? You had to set up a Zoom. You had to set up a FaceTime, um, you know, however, a phone call, however you were going to do that. And that became, that focus for me has helped me grow so much um, as a coach and as a person that I can't wait until we can bring back the other things because I think that um, I'm just going to be that much better, you know, as a coach, as a leader, as, um, you know, somebody who's trying to, uh, continually, you know, improve. Um, so I think focusing, you know, focusing on people is the advice that I would give. And it seems so simple and it seems so obvious. We're in a people, you know, you know, kind of business. Um, but it definitely wasn't, it wasn't for me, like, it wasn't obvious for me. And, that's outside my comfort zone a little bit. Um, I tend to be a little sarcastic and, um, you know, and, and I'm competitive. And I think sometimes we have maybe blinders on as, you know, coaches. And, um, you know, I think you have to, you know, see everyone around you and see them and be intentional about how you're going to, um, you know, help each one of them.
1: And that's how we ended the conversation with Coach Gabe Bolton, head women's soccer coach at Cal State University, Stanislaus, on how he's built a winner and he's done it his own way. And I love hearing stories like this because so many coaches get trapped into this this swamp of doing things the same way their old head coach did it or the way that they've seen other coaches do it. And, folks, I have to tell you that many of those instances, many of those practices are outdated. They don't work with today's student-athletes. And the one thing that Coach Bolton and many other coaches around the country are finding is there are alternate ways to get the job done that are more time efficient, more successful, and they bring better results. So we wanted to offer that up to you today just to get you thinking about how to change things for the next recruiting class or for the next school year, what you want to do differently. Hopefully that gave you some ideas. If you have more questions, you need more ideas on how to build a better program. We have them for free, dantutor.com. Go to the blog and look at our past 15-plus years of articles, research, tips, techniques. Uh, you can search for it by topic, and it's a it's been a, a huge resource for coaches, and we're proud to give that to you. Uh, if you want to invest a little bit, a couple of cents a day, we do ongoing uh, new research throughout every week. And we publish that over at Honey Badger Recruiting. You can go to DanTutor.com, click on the Honey Badger link, and go to that. A lot of free articles there, but mostly it is for subscribers and clients. So... Just some next-level stuff that we want you to be aware of if you want to make that investment into your recruiting career as a college coach. Any other questions, anything else you want to talk about, we are here. Just email me, dan at dantutor.com. I would love to hear from you, get your thoughts on this, and uh, we will put Coach Bolton's contact information in the show notes. So if you have questions, you can get a hold of him or just say, hey, way to go, Coach. Love the way you're doing it. But that's going to wrap it up for today. We really appreciate you being a part of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you tell other coaches in the department on your staff to subscribe. You can find us on all the different platforms. And uh, we're uh, heading into finishing up year five of this, which is amazing. Getting ready for year six. And we are going to keep doing it because we want to give you the best information possible as you build your program through high-level, smarter recruiting. That's going to wrap it up, Coach. Thank you for being a part of it. We'll talk to you next time on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.
0: The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2016 through 2020. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or stream us on Stitcher, and make sure to tell the coaches in your department about the show. Email the host at dan at dantutor.com and visit the website to access more of the free resources we give to the college coaching community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.